you're listening to Blossoming Technologist, a podcast for young professionals in tech, discovering skills, careers, and tips for being in the tech industry. I'm your host, Marissa, and today we're joined by James Connor, a social entrepreneur, founder, and fractional CTO. James helps organizations solve their tech problems. He's built a nonprofit and multiple startups to provide the tools for these companies to succeed in this fast-evolving technological world. One of James' many roles is as a fractional CTO, which means he's a part-time CTO for organizations that don't necessarily need a full-time one. He serves as CTO for Advisor BOB, OnTrack, and Voice for Impact. Today, we're going to discuss James's journey, what it means to be a CTO, and any advice for aspiring CTOs. I am super excited for this conversation. Jim, welcome to the show. Thank you, Marissa. I love the intro. You, it sounds like you're on point with it, so I, I appreciate you. All the accolades you gave me, I'm always like, yeah, I do do that too. Yeah, okay. Yeah, great. I, I, sometimes I forget all the stuff I'm into. <laughs> too, many, too many things going on. But yeah, I feel like... Yeah, of course. I feel like that happens with guests where they're like, oh, wow, okay, yeah, that's, I did that, I did that, yeah. It's also super exciting to have you on the show because we've already talked before and a lot of my guests I have never talked to before and so they'll be completely new. Our 10-minute conversation before we start recording is usually Mm -hmm. the first time I meet the person. But for anyone listening, I've actually chatted with Jim before because I have this dream to one day become a CTO. And he was kind enough to answer a bunch of questions from me. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so this conversation is going to be some of those same questions, a few extra thrown in, and hopefully anyone who also wants to be a CTO one day can learn from it. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you again for having me on the show. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So as always, I always start with what first got you interested in the tech industry? So when I actually, when I first went to college, my, my father was a, was in medicine and my stepmother at the time was in medicine also. <clears throat> and so I went to college thinking I was going to go into pre-med or something. So I was like chemistry, chemistry major. And I had to take some cognates or something. And so I was like, all right, well, I'll take a computer science class. So I took like a comp sci 101. And I just found it so easy. Like people were in there like struggling with the content and I was just, hey, this is a puzzle. Yeah. Okay, cool. Da, 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 da. Boom. It worked. And I got, I, next thing I know, I took so many computer science classes because they were fun, but I was also learning. I figured out computers were going to be a big thing. So I, I needed to learn them. That I ended up just graduating with a double major in chemistry and computer science. So, and then from there, I just can't stay with tech because with the chemistry was, it was chemical engineering was an option, but I I stayed in in the technology world. Awesome. So now I know we're going to focus on being a CTO, but can you kind of bring me through what was that journey from graduating with a dual computer science and chemistry degree to then Mm -hmm. becoming a CTO? Ooh, so lots of jobs, lots of pain, lost hours. (laughs) Like I, t- I kid people like I, I, if you could count how much time in the world has been lost because of a semicolon, like it would be an obscene amount of time. Right. But yeah, you, you kind of when you graduate, you look for a job, you find a, a computer science job, you start. I actually my first job was with an AS400, which is still in use today, but many people don't don't know about it. It's green screen coding. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty old school. But then, yeah, you just go in. I went into the Microsoft world, started using .NET, and then been doing .NET for almost 20 years now. But uh, you you kind of just, 
you don't just jump into CTO role unless you're, you know, you just, you learn on your own. And next thing you do have your own startup with someone else. But for me, it was a matter of going up the ladder, starting as a, de- a junior developer, going to senior developer, becoming a uh, tech lead, working with a team, and then slowly going up there and then find, finding a way to become a CTO where you're making those decisions and working with your team and things of that nature. But a lot of the stuff is, I, I tell a lot of people, becoming a CTO isn't just about what technology-wise, right? It's how you deal with people also because you're leading the team, you're managing people's the personalities, their work, uh, the work responsibilities, and then also their processes. Everybody does things differently. So, I mean, it's, it's just a matter of being understandable of that and then also being patient. Yeah. So when you did, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of honing in on tech lead because I feel like that is such a instrumental yep. role in learning leadership skills. Mm-hmm. Um, did that role, like, are there specific things from that role or any of the other roles that really helped you on that journey to CTO? Because I know you said it's mostly like understanding the people. Yeah, I mean, you have to know, you have to be confident tech-wise tech also. I mean, I don't want to downplay that. Yeah. But yeah, it's definitely as a tech lead, it is, it, that is one of the parts where you really start to have to manage people when you're leading a team. And you're now it's not, and it's not just a matter of, okay, I'm leading a team and everybody has to do their job. You're responsible, right? So as a CTO, as a tech lead, you, are going to get the brunt of everything because you're the one that's managing the team. You're the one that's making those decisions and how things are done. So you either say, do it my way or the highway, or you sit there and you collaborate, you work with everybody, say, okay, how do you want to do it? How do you, and let's get a consensus. Let's, let's find some middle ground so that everybody is on the same page and then we can get and reach our goal as efficiently as possible. So, I mean, being a tech lead, that's where you, it's now it's not just, okay, you're part of it. You're a cog in this enormous process. Now it's like, all right, now you're responsible for this section of this enormous system. And then you have to make sure that your system, your part of the, the system is working properly. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So when you like actually decided to become a CTO. I know you're a fractional CTO and I briefly mm-hmm. explained what that was. Uh, what was actually that moment or that step that made you say, yes, I want to take on this position? Actually, it wasn't a matter of like, oh yeah, I want to take on this position. It was a matter of, do I want to help this person? So when I first became a CTO was basically startup world kind of exploded. Someone came to me and says, Jim, I, I want to work with you. I want you to be, I, I want you to be my tech co-founder. But basically, I just said, I'm, I'm the CTO. I let the, the CEO make all the, the business decisions, things like that. And so I, there, I just basically took what I learned over the years and then said, okay, well, we have to, I'm in charge of all the technical decisions. So this is where your background comes in, what you've built, what you're comfortable with. But at the end of the day, also, it's a matter of being able to get feedback and learning. That's a big part of being a CTO is to continue learning, continue staying up to date with technology, news, things of that nature. So if you are ever thinking about being a CTO, you have to have a love of technology. Like that's far and away something you have to be able to enjoy. If you're like, oh man, I don't want to be on the laptop again for another. No, then don't become a CTO. Yeah. So what other traits or like superpowers do you think people need to be a great CTO? Because I know you mentioned like you got to love technology. 
What else mm-hmm. do you think mm-hmm. you need? Yeah, you got to be, you don't have to be a people person because there's plenty of CTOs I know that are not people, people, people persons, but you know, they have like such a vast knowledge of a technology. It's like the people that they're working with, they just admire and, and, and revere that person so much. They'll do whatever they ask. But in, in certain cases, you do need to be able to manage people. You do need to be able to set expectations also. Sometimes it'll be a matter of a balancing act between short-term gains and long-term insight, right? So you want to be able to say, okay, if we go down this road, will we be able to pivot quickly in case we start losing customers or something bad happens? You're always kind of trying to to, to make sure there's a plan B, okay? So because that is your real responsibility, right? As CTO, if things crash, everybody's going to be looking at you. The CEO, the CFO, they're like, Hey, what's going on with the platform? What's going on with the system? So you have, if you're looking to be a successful CTO, you should definitely make sure that your backup plans, your alternatives, your plan B's, plan C's, plan D's are all in all set. And then at the same time, you can sit there and go be kind of flexible at the same time and say, all right, we need to do this in whatever, 12 days. Okay, and come up with a plan on the fly, figure it out, get the team on board with the decisions, and then go from there. Oh, man. Lots of things you kind of need as a CTO. I guess Mm -hmm. when that's happening, I know you mentioned like you need to have a plan, that kind of thing. Have Mm -hmm. have there been any times where something bad has happened like that or you faced a challenge in that way and you've had to like really get to your feet and perform and like fix everything? (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, there, there are definitely times where you, where, so there's been two cases that I can think, think of right off the top of my head. One was that we had a customer, we had a new developer, they were doing some things and some of it is obviously our responsibility. He shouldn't have had that access, but he deleted the customer data, right? And at at the same time, there were no backups. So we didn't have any backup. So we lost about three months worth of data and we ended up losing the customer. But at the same time as CTO, guess who had to go talk to the customer and then four of them, hey, we lost it. Not the person that deleted it. No, the, the CTO did. So you have to go and be customer facing at, at times. A lot of CTOs I know aren't customer facing. They don't actually do that unless they're on a meeting or something like that, that they're brought in to ask questions. There's a technical specifications they need to go over. But for the most part, some CTOs never talk to the customer. But in, in our case, I had to go talk to the customers and that wasn't a very comfortable conversation. Another time is that, yeah, it was a matter of we, one of the, one of the data centers went down. This is when, you know, it was actually, it wasn't too much cloud stuff. One of the data centers went down. We had to get all the data back up from our backups from tape. Back then it was on tape. Put the tape in, uh, set up a new server, get everything up and running and, and get people back online. So that was a very long night. I, I just remember that just because I was up all night. Uh, I had to work until the next day. And then I had plans at night with, at, at the time, my my partner and she she was not happy, but it, it was work. Yeah, it has to happen. Yeah, you're kind of like the person who's responsible for anything bad that happens on the tech side. That's a lot of pressure, it feels like. Do you do you feel that pressure as a CTO to be responsible for so much stuff? Well, yeah, because you can't, in that situation, right? I can't sit there and say, hey guys, I have a dinner date with my partner. You guys take care of it and then let me know when it's fixed. 
Like all of them are going to be like, yo, really? Like this is our leader? No, you can't do that. So you have to bite the bullet and you have to suffer with everybody else. And, and that's just how it goes. And so it's not that it's pressure, but it's your responsibility, right? Just you, if you're a leader, if you're man, the manager, it's your responsibility to be there suffering with everyone else and then extending a helping hand as best as possible. Yeah, that makes sense. So what are the typical responsibilities for a CTO? Yeah, and this depends on on the company, the organization, the hierarchy of, of the, the, the executives and stuff like that. For the most part, they either, in my regards, it's either putting together the team and then identifying the systems that we're building and then what resources we're going to use. Now, it'll, it'll come into, we'll take into account what's already existing and built are we going to be upgrading technology? Are we going to be changing technology? Those all come into account. You talk with your team members and it also becomes into account of what resources you have. Like if you have two front-end developers and one back-end developer, you're going to be, those. you have to think about all those things. So that's one of the responsibilities. The other responsibility is to make sure you're feeding the CEO, CEO and the CFO the correct information, right? You're sharing hey, this is what we're doing. This is why I'm, I made this decision. You're keeping them within the loop. So communication is very important because the CEO is going to have discussions and meetings with other potential clients and partners. They need to be able to talk, be able to talk about the system or platform from a high level based on what you said. So sometimes there, there are times where I have to say what we're doing, but put it in layman terms. I say, okay, this is what we're doing and this is why we made this decision. So if anybody asks you this question, this is what you say. So that communication becomes a, a, a very important aspect of, for CEO, CEO and CFO and uh, all those other people. But other responsibilities, yeah, it's some CCOs don't really want to do the hiring. They leave it to other people. They just say, hey, look, what do we got? How many people we have? Things of that nature. But it just depends on their specialization. For me, it's more of, you know, I understand. I have to know a bit about everything is, is another responsibility. I have to know, okay, there's this new technology out. It's an alternative to this. I ha- at least have to give it 10 minutes of my time to see if it would be a fit in the future, in the present. And then decide, okay, should we switch or should all those decisions we have to make, but you also have to keep growing and learn. One thing I wanted to ask you about, because when I think of the role of CTO, I think very like high level systems, high level architecture, that kind of thing. Do you find this to be true as CTO that you're dealing with more high level systems, architecture problems, that kind of stuff? And if so, like, do you have any examples? Yeah, it all depends on the, the the system that you're working on, right? So if you're working for a big bank, right, and you're the CTO of this bank and say it's a crypto bank and, and you're responsible for the architecture, yeah, it's you're thinking, you're talking about maybe like 10,000 transactions per second, something like that. Your architecture is going to be really, really high level. I mean, you're going to have to understand it. You want to make sure talking about the bottlenecks, anything like that. Whereas if you're talking about a small startup, right? They're not worried about 10,000 transactions per second. They're happy if they get 10,000 transactions in a month. Okay. So maybe the architecture is not as complex, but it still has to work and it still has to function efficiently. But it may not, you might not have about a node cluster of, of databases set up somewhere or something like that on AWS, but you do need to make sure you understand the architecture. The architecture is set up so that the organization can succeed and provide a good service to your clients. Gotcha. So I think 
it's interesting to me because I always think of CTO at like really big companies. I know you are a fractional CTO, maybe dealing with mm-hmm. more startup level or like smaller mm-hmm. companies, or like not Google or Microsoft, of course. What would you say, like, let's say someone is aspiring to become a CTO, what would that path look like to get that role? Like, would you try to start off at a small company or continue on as a developer until you're like at a higher level and then maybe you're at a bigger company, that kind of thing? It's just a matter, it's just a case of the opportunity that's provided to you. So I would say for, for some people, they go straight from being a developer to CTO because they're a senior developer in a 1000 developer company, right? And, but they're like number 12 on the list. And then this startup or, or this small business says, we want to hire you as our CTO. They go from developer right to CTO, right? And they're confident. They're very, the very senior level. But then you may have other people that say, okay, they go from developer, they go to tech lead like I did. And then they go from tech lead to CTO, but for a smaller company. So for me, I'm not a CTO for nonprofits, but for over, say, over 100 nonprofits that I've worked with, I am their tech resource. So I'm knowledgeable in the fact that I'm their CTO and I'm the one that they turn to when they need like, hey, Jim, what do we do here? or How should we set this up? I handle all that for them so that they don't have to worry about it. But at the end of the day, it's not it's not very advanced or a complex system. So, I mean, you could still say you're a CTO of a nonprofit, even though their their tech stack isn't isn't the most complex. But if you want to get into as being a, at the end of the day, CTO is just a title. It's just a matter of what's the project that you want to work on that's going to challenge you. And then what do you, what do you want to be able to do? Cause as a CTO, there's going to be a choice you have to make. Do you want to continue coding or being developer, being in the weeds, figuring out those kind of problems? Or do you want to be a, a C level executive where you're, talking about hiring, you're talking about tech resources, the the architecture, the infrastructure of the whole entire system. Those are meetings that you're in a, a lot. So at the end of the day, you don't get to be developing as much as you maybe want to. Yeah. I am so glad you called out that it's just a title. I was thinking the same thing of like, it's like, sure, maybe you want to be a CTO one day, but like, what what does that actually entail? What does that job actually look like? Like, that should be what you want, not necessarily the title on your resume or on your LinkedIn. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. What advice would you give to any software developers who are interested in becoming a CTO one day? Uh, so if you're interested in becoming a CTO, one of the things is to just make sure that you've tried to run your own. I, I would I would have people try to run their own side project, Right. So it makes sense, right? If you if you say, okay, I'm going to build out this application, I'm going to try to get it up and running and then see if customers will actually use it and then feel that pressure of building actually something. Like a lot of people love building things, but then when they have to actually support it and maintain it long-term, it, they kind of lose their, their the magic of it, right? But I would tell people, try to build something first and make all the decisions and then see how it works out. Learn from those mistakes. Hey, should I have, should I have used AWS? Should I have used PHP? Should I, whatever those, those decisions are, at least you got to make those decisions. You got to make the choices and see the ramifications of those choices. The other part is, yeah, try to uh, improve your soft skills. There's some people that are going to be, there, there are a lot of bad managers out there just because they just, 
don't deal with people very well. They don't respect the people that they work with sometimes. But those bad managers will cause, I mean, there's been plenty of bad managers I dealt with and I left companies because I didn't want to deal with that manager anymore. But at the end of the day, make sure you understand, okay, what's the difference between a bad manager and a good manager? What's the difference between a good leader, a bad leader? And then try to improve upon those traits that people say, hey, I like working with this guy because of this reason. Or, hey, I like working for her because she takes care of this, this, and this. Like I said, if I would have left when the servers went down, the data center went down and went on my date, my partner would have been very happy. But my team, I would have probably lost the respect of my team. And in long term, that's not a good thing. So I mean, at the end of the day, those are the kind of things that I sit there and tell people like, you need to kind of practice, not practice, but be prepared for when you're becoming, taking on those responsibilities. Just to dig into that a little bit, what specific soft skills do you think are really important for becoming a leader? Everybody is different because for me, for me, I always say please and thank you. I don't care who you are. Like I want to, I want to be like, hey, can you please take a look at this when you get a chance? It's not just, hey, take care of this. Like, no, no, no. I, I want to say, make sure I say please and thank you. The other one is making sure I don't see myself better than everybody else. So like when I tell, as a CTO, I tell everybody that I work with on my team, I work for you. It's not the other way around. I work for you. If you're not happy, then tell me. I mean, I need you to tell me, keep keep communication with me. Whatever you need, let me know. Because in order for us to be successful, the team needs to be a well-oiled machine. Now, if for whatever reason, if I make a bad decision or something like that and I, I lead the team down the wrong path, that's on me. But at the same time, if the team is running well, they're happy, they're, they're enthused about what they're working on, if you take me out of the equation, the team is still going to be continue doing good work. So for me, I'm always making sure that the team is happy just as much as whether customers and clients are happy. So I, it's a, for, for me, it's a matter of getting to know every person on the team, making sure, learning a little bit about them, making sure they, that I, they know, hey, I see you, I recognize you, and that they're, I, I respect the fact that they're a person as well. Yeah. Have you ever heard of push versus pull leadership? Uh, no, I don't think I have. I have. Okay. So I just want to tell you about it because yeah, I made a presentation true. recently and what you just said reminded me of it. So there's, I mean, there's lots of different kinds of leadership, but push and pull leadership, push leadership is kind of like micromanagement. Like you work for me, that kind of thing. Like what we hope people don't do. And mm -hmm. pull leadership is really where you are working for your team and you are like motivating them. So then they're self-motivated. So when you do take vacation, like they're fine, they can keep going. And they also just feel like you are cheering them on. And I thought it was just like a cool, I don't know, a cool idea. And I brought it into a presentation recently where mm -hmm. it's like, you should try to be a poll leader or a servant leader. That's kind of the same concept. So I just wanted to share it with you. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I believe in it wholeheartedly. I mean, it's just your people. I've had people that have gotten offered better opportunities not leave and come to me first to say, Jim, I got this opportunity. This is the amount, this is the salary. This is where it's at. This is what I would be doing. What do you think? I just, I want your opinion, what you would do in my, my situation. I, and I'm totally honest with them. I sit there and say, Ooh, I take it. 
Like it would hurt for you to leave me, but I take it. And that's the kind of relationship I love having with team members is just the fact that they'll open up. And there have been people that sit there and say, oh, yeah, no, no, no. And they'll tell me later, yeah, no, I got offered a job, but there's no way I'm leaving this team. Besides, you make it fun or you. I'm really happy about the people that are happy working with me. It's just a matter of you got to make sure they're happy and that they're growing. Because at the same time, it's not just about making sure they're happy. You also have to challenge them. You also have to sit there and say, identify those team members that are are comfortable and put them in a situation where they're a little bit uncomfortable so that they continue growing and learning. Those are the things that you also have to do as a, for me as a CTO. Yeah. I think that's really powerful too, because when it boils down to it, like we all have to work, we have to make money somehow, but like Mm -hmm. being around good people makes it so worth it and doing work that excites you, makes you happy it's mm-hmm. like the perfect combination. So if you have a great leader like you as CTO, then you're good and you like you feel like your job is worthwhile and you feel like you're valued. And that's what we all want in a job. <laughs> right. No, exactly. We, we do want to be valued. People want to be and it, they, people are not that they want to be treated the way that they are they're expected to be treated. I mean, obviously you want to have respect for everybody, but sometimes like I'll have like a, a introverted de- developer and I'll, you'll have to be like, all right. John, would you give me some feedback? What do you got? And they may not want to be in the meeting vocal, right? They just want to, they just want to be there. They want to listen and everything. And then at the end of the meeting, you sit there and say, okay, ask them to stay after and to say, hey, so you didn't say anything. I just want to get, do you have any feedback? I wanted to get your, you want everybody to be part of it and collaborate and creative. And it's sometimes you just have to take people one-on-one and just say, hey, I want to get your feedback. What do you think? And then because maybe that's a better a better situation for them. But yeah, it, people, you want to have to make identify that as well. And that's one of the parts that go into being a, a leader of a team. Yeah. Awesome. That That's, yeah, a lot, a lot of responsibilities for one person, which is understandable at that level. But you have to be that technical expert on the C-suite level and make those decisions to impact the entire company. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Okay. So I think with that, I end every episode with one final question because this podcast is about blossoming technologists, people who are still growing in their field, which I think mm-hmm. is everyone. Yep. So my last question is, what is one skill that you're currently working on? One skill I'm currently working on, actually, I'm working on I'm I'm looking at two things. So one is I'm looking to get my certification for Azure. Just obviously I'm I'm in the Microsoft world. So I want to make sure that I understand everything about Azure. I know it and then just getting that that certification. The other one is that I I really like F Sharp. So what I've started doing is one way of learning a new language is by going to do... uh, uh, programming problems, right? So you go to Test Gorilla or you go to one of those websites and you, there's quite a few of them out there, but you go ahead and see which one. And one of them, uh, the one that I use, it uses, has F sharp. So now I try to solve those problems using F sharp. And uh, I've been coding F sharp for a while, but I mean, it just keeps it fresh. It keeps it, keeps me learning more and knowing stuff. So yeah, occasionally I'll be doing a lot of those F sharp problems and Sometimes I get lost in. I'm like, I, I can. You sit there, and when you learn a new language, you're like, I could do this in C sharp in like five minutes. Why can't I do it in? F- yeah, it's it's one of those things. It's frustrating to learn, but 
it, it'll make you think differently also. Yeah. I feel like it's always frustrating when you're first starting to learn something, like learning something new. It, there's always that hurdle to get over. But once mm-hmm. you get there, you get there and you figure it out, which is great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So thank you so much, Jim, for being on the show. If anyone wants to connect with Jim, please check out the show notes for his LinkedIn, as well as any resources that we mentioned. And make sure to follow our social media, leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you enjoyed the episode. And thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time where we'll continue blossoming together. 